It's Monday, February 19th, 2018, and you're listening to episode 475 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Recording time for this episode is one hour and two minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Brodor. This is Wayne. And my name's Chad. All right, so... I have no announcements, but Brodor has like 18. Oh, so. my God. This uh, is like when he reads his notes in the SOG game. Oh my just God. lay back, get a cigar, <laughs> a nice cool drink, that put your feet good. up. He <laughs> missed cigars. when I read the notes, where I had yeah. all those comments about him. Yeah. <laughs> so, obviously, Con Planner is up. Fear the Con is a live thing. and is going Conplanner.com. Yeah, conplanner.com. Yeah, see, that's why don't give me alcohol and then say, hey, Brodor, make the announcements. It's easier to find by going to feartheCon.com yeah. and Fear then the clicking Con the Conplanner link. Is and that's website. why we have professionals on this yeah. show. Yeah. Fred, thank you. Last night when we were on Discord, uh, we were trying to have a con biz meeting, and Fred popped into the channel and was like, hey, guys, what's up? And we're like, Sorry, Fred, this is an official meeting, and before we could explain any further, he just dumped the call. So, Fred, thank you. Sorry, we were all business and absolutely no fun. So, I have to say, talking about Fear the Con, I looked out at the website yesterday, and I saw that it's a full website with pictures and abouts and locations and things, and a link to Con Planner. I think it looks really nice. Yeah. FearTheCon.com. All right, Broder, what's up next? What is up next? I, you're the one with the announcement. No, Fear the Con. We need Fear the Con. We need con attendees. We need games on Con Planner. And Fred's amazing and just a congenial gentleman. Those are my two announcements. Okay. How and do you had like a banter eight. topic. Yeah. No, we'll get to because, the art. Because I was ranting and drunk. Okay. <laughs> and now yeah, he's you, sobered up. He did. A right. little bit. It's unfortunate. Yeah, for you guys listening at home, we're, we're not embellishing this. While we were prepping to record, he rattled off all these things he wanted to talk about it and needed to yeah, drop. Like so important to tell us about the lizard people or something. <laughs> yeah. Here comes FEMA. Okay. okay, first of all, FEMA's debunked. Second of all, lizard the entire people, agency. Lizard, <laughs> lizard people are real. Fake news. <laughs> all right. It's fake news. Fake news. It's when you're, you know, your your skin just sheds. Mm. So, Brodor, let's get down to the other part then. You had a banter topic about all the ugly things. So, and and I don't know where this would go, but through happenstance, I came across this guy by the name of J.M. Perkins. John Perkins, but often goes by J.M. And he... J.M.? J.M. Perkins? J.M. J.M. Perkins. Yeah, so... I mean, I'm not hating. So, J.M. Perkins... J.M. Perkins. ...has done a, a couple of things in the game industry, but something that he did that I was so titillated by and so drawn to, yet repelled at the same moment was he's got a campaign setting coming out that he did a Kickstarter for. I think you might still be able to pre-order it called Salt in Wounds. And it's not a whole world campaign setting. Primarily, it is one city. A city that hundreds of years ago, armies banded together to defeat the Tarrasque, right? They had a two-stage plan. We're going to bind the Tarrasque in traditional D&D. They're sort of unkillable Godzilla perpetually 
regenerating immortal thing, we're going to bind it, stage one. Stage two, we're going to kill it. So stage one, successful. Many deaths, much tragedy, many terrible things. Stage two, eh, not so successful. So stage one, check. Stage two, fail. What do we do at this point? <laughs> we fucking eat it, right? So we have all of these people that live in the city, and we're going to use this Tarrasque, this, this gargantuan regenerating thing, as not only a food source, but the basis for our economy. And my heart broke because I'm listening to this and I'm thinking that after hundreds of years of being perpetually butchered and skinned and debased and enslaved and, and basted and basted by these people, at some point your will is just broken and you've got this colossal creature of evil and destruction that is just sad with its head down and just defeated right and it got taste good i don't know but it got me thinking about all of these different things and about how i am attracted to darkness and about how we as people are attracted to darkness like what was it for me that was compelling about this world where people have taken this living creature although it is a force of nature and destruction and evil and they have done something evil to it now J.M. Perkins will be able to explain to you the basis of the world and what his inspirations were and how the economy and the culture has built around this thing. But it really, I thought, how bad do I feel for this creature, right? Even though it is awful and evil and destructive, what this society has done to it is unforgivable, right? And so I'm conflicted. But then it got me to thinking about thrillers and horror movies and dark dramas and things where we are attracted to this this ugliness, this this baseness that I, I would hope that I would never engage in personally. I'm conflicted because I want to run away from it, but I also want to explore it more. Like I want to pre-order this campaign setting and I want to at least use it somewhere in the future of my D&D game, if not base an entire game around the politics of the city and what they've built, right? What would you hope your players would do when they uncovered this? Oh, it's Are, not, it, it's, oh, it's not uncovered. It's, okay. I mean, it's, it's the thing that's where food comes from. In fact, food in this world, as it's described is so cheap, it's practically free, but because of feces and urine and blood runoff, from the imprisonment and butchery of this creature, the water table is completely ruined and poisoned. And if you drink the water, the terrible mutating effects, if not, you know, being utterly fatal. So water is extremely expensive if you want clean water. But I mean, would you want your players to try to kill this thing and put it out of its misery? Or would you want them to try to free it and then deal with the fun of having it go nuts killing things? That, or just live in the world and not have any impact on it at all? Or, or wait till Ricketts to, wipes out most of the population because they don't eat vegetables. Yeah, I was about to say, <laughs> this population, outside of the ones that have food poisoning from the water, 
have probably not pooped, <laughs> but they're at solid yeah. protein. They're like the biggest, buffest barbarians ever. Well, the other thing I was thinking, if this thing keeps regenerating itself and all of it, what's it eating? Why doesn't it just it's go thin magic. and have no meat? It's because easy. it's because it yeah. is magical. Un, it is unkillable. It's an it's right. an unnatural thing, and right. it just regenerates magically. Right. But but that that's but all. It is, but it it excretes. Exactly. If it's yeah. excreting something, it's got to be eating something. Unless it's excreting magic. Magic. <laughs> magic. So at some point, <laughs> I would want a strawberry. <laughs> the I mean, is that too much to ask? Am I some rich hipster? They have an agrarian contingent that is growing vegetables to supplement. How are they growing vegetables? There's no water. It's not the point. (laughs) I mean, there's no water. It's all poison. That's what I love. It's so expensive. That's what I love about this. It's like growing food in California. This this is what I love about this. Broder sets this whole thing up. You and I are both thinking the same thing. All the ways this doesn't work. And gamers are assholes. The the only (laughs) thing that gamers want more than anything is to win and be right. And so you take other people's creative (laughs) ideas and you shit on them and you (laughs) fucking tear them down. And it's not the point of story, but the point of story doesn't matter because there's something that I can tenaciously latch on to and rip down and shit. Broder, you you dive the world. (laughs) I I wonder if that game setting is a metaphor because you just described it. That all you do is you sit there and you come up with an idea, and that's your task. And the idea gets fed upon by people that don't create their own ideas. Right? You know what? You guys, because here I am. My own ideas. Here here I am. So am I qualified to sit on this yet? Fascinated, because there's a whole another subject here about being fascinated. By this guy's imagination and the depth of thought that he put into it. And, and why am I attracted to ugliness? And you're like, well, this, this ecology doesn't make it. You know what? We need to have J.M. Perkins on the show so he can fucking defend this and no, on you. I have no and problem. on you, Chad. Okay. I have no problem with J.M. Perkins getting on this show because he is an awesome we'll, fucking We'll get to your exploration. <laughs> Chad, you are qualified to on it because I'd like the Tarrasque you eat and right. you drink. Right. Not, not magic. That's either. the requirement to I, poop. I you want eat, to play drink. a fifth level hipster in this world where my goal is to find fresh fruit. <laughs> I just want to have an orange. I just want to have not Tarrasque bacon one day in my life. Give it more. Oh, oh my god. The most evil thing you can play in this whole world is a vegetarian. Much like in our world. <laughs> okay, but but how kick-ass is that, right? So there's an entire subculture and counterculture of people who are pro-Tarask that this creature's been abused, and it's But you horrible. can't set it free because it'll kill everybody. Right, you can't set it free because it'll... But unless you're like a death cult, and everyone deserves the judgment of the Tarask. Right, see, okay, now, now a little bit of your shit has crawled back I, up your head. I'm not getting on this this setting because I'm sure that there's more to it than you're yeah. you're saying because you obviously don't hit the book's not out. Yeah, I didn't write the goddamn thing. Yeah. It, it sounds like it's very well thought out. They probably explain all this. We're sh on you. Right. Yeah, pretty much. Right in your open mouth. And you like it. Yeah. Because you like dark things. Okay. That are horrible and ugly. Like, I like the human I like son of corn. Peace. That's pretty much that's another thing. The Tarask poop has corn in it, and no one knows where it came from. There's or no what corn, corn down is. There, okay. Right? Or what corn right. is. Look, <laughs> if there is one ailment that the Tarask cannot regenerate from, it's diverticulitis. And so there are pockets of nuts 
and corn <laughs> in various grades that are stuck in these pockets of diverticuli. Excellent. Wow. God damn it, I'm sober now. <laughs> F*** you, Chad. <laughs> Why don't you get a beer and spit it on me again? I don't know. <laughs> okay. I just ask questions, man. That's all I do. Let, all right, let's try... <laughs> I love the setup for this, and I really loved it when I saw it on Torchwood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the, there was a Doctor Who on that as well. Uh, yeah. oh, okay. Oh my God, that's it, what like the Dishonored video game is about. And Blades in the wait, Dark. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Very. I wonder if there's something kind of Promethean about sucks. this. Whoa. Whoa. You know what? You're fine. This is not. Well, I know you've heard. You've got what you wanted. I, I am, <laughs> I'm a little shocked here. We're looking back years or decades for the reference here. When this goes back to at least Prometheus thousands of years ago, but all right, let, let's put this aside. The, the specifics aside for a moment here. Do you mean Sisyphus? No, Sisyphus is the rock. He had the rock. Prometheus is the one. Prometheus. His punishment for giving man fire was he was chained to a rock where birds. Gotcha. The birds eat. Okay, and he would forever regrow. I think it was specifically his liver that the birds would then eat okay, again. But did these birds build an economy around him? No. Because they're birds, bro. Right? Exactly <laughs> my point. So what J.M. Perkins has done has taken your mythology and made playable 5th edition and or Pathfinder mythology for you. Well, what if I want to play one of those bird people? I forget what they're called. The Kenku? Sure. Then no, you don't play them. Get out of my house. <laughs> <laughs> you don't play anthropomorphic f- anything in my game. <laughs> See, I'll play the hipster, you play your bird people, and we're going to screw your game. Okay. Just pick so, at its liver. All right, so two You're things. forever in search of seed. <laughs> two things. Number one, this is going to be a Fear the Con. It goes to 11 game, not by me, but by somebody else. And second, just Google. Salt and Wounds, the search for fiber. Just, <laughs> just go to Salt and Wounds. Just look at the the sort of acupuncture chi butchery chart that the artist it's it's brilliant. I'm sure it's great. Yeah, whatever. Is <laughs> there a place where you could you could eat at it and it actually relaxes it? Because like it's like if it's just like acupuncture. Oh my god, what if it's what if it's like bovine, right? Like what if there are people out there because there's gotta be with with horses and bulls and things. I mean my buddy used to date a girl who her job was I should please cut that part out. <laughs> I'm sorry that that I should cut that part out. That's a bit much. Okay, Brodor. Yeah. Okay. So, an obsession with dark ideas that we know probably aren't the best thing, right? This is not a good thing, but we want to explore it further. There are two things that have come up recently that I'm right on the same page with you, where I have this fixation with ideas. And I think to some extent I can understand why, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I entirely support or think I mean rational or believe in or or any of those things. One of them is I was looking at the trailers for a game that's been out for a while. I've not played it yet, but I'm thinking about picking up to play it. Resident Evil 7. And I was watching some of the trailers for that, and I saw that they have a VR version for it. And as I was looking at some of that, I'm like, you know what? What it really would have been cool is to play Alien Isolation in virtual reality. That would have been really badass. And as I started thinking about this, the first thing that came to mind was, oh yeah, I need to put in for a Valium refill because <laughs> <laughs> I have no delusion 
that being anywhere near that immersed in a setting that is that disturbing, whether we're talking about Resident Evil or Alien Isolation, that's that disturbing, and then doing it VR to where it's more immersive, has jump scares or whatever's in there, is a really bad idea for me. It's like, why would I even want to do this? Like, right, what attracts me to this? The other thing that I find myself strangely attracted to, and I'm, let me define this, because the last time I used this phrase, people freaked out because they thought I meant something different, is revenge porn. Now, when I say revenge porn, careful definition here, I am not talking about when an ex posts somebody's nudes on the internet. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about man on fire. I'm talking about falling down, falling down. I'm talking about, I spit on your grave. I, yeah, I'm talking about a genre of fiction. Law abiding citizen is another one where it's fundamentally about one person suffering or many people suffering. And then they rise up and they take their justice. Uh, John Wick is probably another recent and great example of the revenge porn you don't think genre. He overreacted a little bit. Oh, they killed this fucking dog, dude. Yeah, <laughs> if, if they killed him, it kind of wouldn't. Man, you you just don't well, kill. Sure, sure, kill this dog. Get that guy <laughs> and maybe a couple of his guards. But he killed everybody. But it was about getting that guy well, and every motherfucker that got in the way. Well, and, Chad, <laughs> you're missing the point at least, of this. If it's revenge. That's not justice. Yeah. Revenge means you have gone too far. Uh, yeah. Well, I like him falling. Well, falling down wasn't really about revenge. No, it was, it was about breaking. Well, it yeah. was, and he did take revenge, but it was it, always it was revenge. It was in vignette. Yeah. yeah. It was revenge in the moment. It wasn't like he had a giant scheme of revenge. And he was just killing everybody. But it was yeah. just one thing I think is inherent to the revenge porn genre is that it is taken too far. Mm-hmm. That is, I think that's a natural part of that genre it's not justice. It's not yeah. getting even. It is you take it, you're broke, and now you take it too far. And, and the the one that got me thinking about this thing most recently is when I was a kid, there was a Charles Bronson series that I was kind of a fan of called Death Wish. And I found out that now, like 40 years later, they are doing a remake of at least the first movie with Bruce Willis in the lead. And I don't know how good or bad this is going to be. This could be one of those things. It's it's terrible. Or maybe I just like it because this is my jam for some reason. I have no idea. But seeing a trailer for that is what got me thinking about this in the past few days. Now, once again, with this genre, is revenge, especially when we're talking about that level of disproportion and that level of gratuity and that kind of self-indulgence really a healthy or moral thing to do. And I think it's fairly safe to say, no, that that's not a healthy or useful thing to do. So why is it that I'm fascinated by that kind of thing? Or good old Fear the Boot staple, not the comedy version on Twitter, but the serious version of Gnarl. Not a good character. That's a great character. Right, right. Good in quality. <laughs> he's a, he's a what, chaotic evil. Lawful evil. Lawful evil. Yeah, because yeah, he has a... Code and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. He, he was a house knoll. Right. But uh, as a result, I mean, you know, he was he was not a good character. He was and it was a great character in terms of quality, right. but he was not good in alignment. Yeah. He did a lot of terrible things, things that I don't have any defense for. They were even by the player's estimation reprehensible. Uh, some of the things he did, I could maybe argue were justified or whatever. But there's a lot he did that I knew this was reprehensible. This was wrong. 
And so what was it that fascinated me about or drew me back to that character? Uh, you know, was it an examination of self when World of Darkness was first released back in the mid-90s? They talked about how the game was supposed to be, in a way, a kind of repentant act, that it was supposed to be this understanding of your own evil to a point that... It wasn't you, supposed to be a celebration of evil. Yeah. Like later editions were, it was more of a matter of look into the darkness and it'll look back on you so you can actually so have you can, a better understanding. Yeah, and so you can... Which might have been just an excuse. So you can control... But, well, yeah, and there's always going to be that question of, am I really trying to excise this evil or even take an ascetic sort of, I'm going to control this evil, or is there is this an excuse to get off on it? Because, Chad, there is one thing that I have noticed in pretty much every World of Darkness game I've played. Nightclubs? Is, well, they're the nightclubs. But no, actually, this is even more consistent than nightclubs because I played World of Darkness games in other eras where, I mean, I, why not? Let's have like a medieval nightclub. But <laughs> it, it, you know, old public house. <laughs> but <laughs> nightclub with a K. I, what I found out or saw in almost all of these was that despite the implicit, if not explicit, understanding that we're not playing good things. And this is supposed to be an exploration of evil that the people that were running it got awfully defensive about their specific interpretation, understanding, and headcanon, not of the setting, but of how morality worked in the setting. And the more that I looked at it, it took a while for me to kind of see this pattern. But the more I looked at it, I think with at least some percentage of these GMs, it was like, you're taking this so personal because it is personal because this game world you've constructed is an exploration of an evil that in my opinion, you're not sufficiently repulsed by, you know, you kind of agree with it on some level. You kind of want it on some level. And I have to wonder in my own self, and I don't say this as a mark of pride. I say this as a mark of humility. You know, I was bullied a lot when I was younger being powerless being downtrodden, being victimized. This is a very familiar place to me. Is that why I like revenge porn? You know, because Liam Neeson and Bruce Willis and all these other, they're acting out a dark place that's in my own heart. Now, that's not certainly true of alien isolation. I've never in my life been like, wow, I want to be locked in a <laughs> closet while an alien's sniffing outside. But, you know, this is something I can't really, I don't think I can really relate to. Like I have because you don't have a soul. I've had a lot of <laughs> I've had a lot of like lashing out thoughts and things. Right. But I don't. I've never really gotten into the revenge porn thing. We had a game recently that that Adam Gottfried ran for us where I played a Nazi. I played a truly evil person. Mm -hmm. I would have been upset if my character survived the session. You know, I was I was actually given. But the, didn't, but didn't okay. And I'm not saying. You agreed with the character. I'm not saying you like the character. Or that you are a national socialist. Right. <laughs> because that's kind of a given. Yeah. But what... <laughs> Wait a it minute. comes with anything. <laughs> it, it's what replaced his soul. <laughs> but no, no, okay, I'll jokes aside. All right, I'll jokes aside. Seriously, was there something about the character, though, that fascinated you? No, there was nothing about the character itself. When it was originally pitched to me, yeah. I was told specifically, this character should be sexist and... A you know basically get a list of the horrible things about it. Okay, and I should specifically make Beth want to kill my character. 
that's what was more amusing to me was I thought this can be fun. I was like, let me move to the Sumeta game level. What you just said there, though I'm rephrasing it, is effectively that you enjoyed antagonizing Beth and the other players. No, I would say it's more enjoyed giving the players opportunity to hit the punching bag. Yes. Not I, being the punching bag and hurting their fist when they punch it. No, 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 that's not what I meant. I, I think I think yep. we're saying the same thing in different terms. Because this is something we Pat had talked about once before that he really he found he really enjoyed having fun and you know making things mm-hmm. difficult for the group. In my case, I knew the group was going to enjoy getting rid of this character. I wasn't doing it because I was having fun poking them. I wanted it to be a fun story he, that they could get rid of. He it. had fun setting up their success. Right, yes. right. But to, to, to even have a, I want them to punch this, you have to first drive them to the point they want to punch. True. And you're saying that there was something about that process that you enjoyed. Now, I'm not saying you got off in a, uh, specifically on, and maybe the phrase of antagonizing them was the was overstated, because I think that does imply some things I don't mean. So maybe it was right. awkward wording. But my point is still that at the metagame level, there was still something about the ugliness of that that I'm not. I'm not saying you agreed with. I'm not saying you're. Well, you're you and I will say that is of. something that comes out with me more in board games. In board games, I love the trader mechanism of a board game. I love games like Munchkin where I can make people really pissed off with a move. Yeah. I do yeah. love being the antagonist in a board game. Not so much in role playing or video games, though. I, I don't want to get into that head, but I can have fun doing that same thing on a board game because I'm not playing a role and I'm not thinking about it. You know, it's different to me. There's a disconnect. So, Broder, let me ask you something about this because I think there is some form of messed up in this, some form of evil that intrigues most people. And it could be because some part of them kind of understands a little more than they'd like, like I'm talking about with the revenge porn thing. Maybe it's because they don't understand it, but there's something about it that just fascinates them intellectually or emotionally. Maybe we can even take this down to some purely reptilian level that it's just the hormonal high of, you know, that adrenaline rush, the the thrill of being scared. The same reason people like roller coasters. But with this particular game, with Jam Perkins, <laughs> is, is this something that you specifically want to run or play in or don't really care? So I would love to run it as opposed to play in it. Because as someone who tends to prefer, not tends to, I absolutely prefer game mastering to being a player because as a game master, you can have a vision for the whole. And as a player, you have a vision for the one. And so in my mind, I was inspired by JM's creativity. This thing that he imagined, I want to take what he imagined and make it mine, right? And so I would rather game mastering it. But for me, honestly, what it boils down to is my entire life has been about escapism. And for me, the attraction to darkness is about generally being selfish and that I'm a selfish person. And as a selfish person, engaging in the darkness is an excuse to disregard the feelings of others, right? So if 
I'm a bad person, I don't have to consider the emotions, the happiness, the pleasure, the safety, security of other people. So it's that idea on a much grander scale that our entire society revolves around the suffering of this one thing. And we are completely immune and desensitized to that suffering. Man, I tell you, maybe this is the point of the setting, but sitting here just as a person hearing about this, I'm having so much trouble wrapping my head around this because I can't put myself in the shoes of somebody who feels bad for the Tarrasque. <laughs> and maybe, I don't know. Maybe right? Does that make me weird? No, no, I don't think it does. Maybe it makes you in some ways a better person than I am. Well, but it's, it's easy for me because I have no idea what Trask is. Hearing his description of it was all I know. Yeah, okay, so, so I have no preconceived notion. So to give you a, a kind of crash course on the Tarrasque, it is this ultimate creature in D&D that in most of the settings where it pops up, it's huge. Okay, so did you play Final Fantasy X? Yeah. Okay, so think it's kind of something like Sin, but imagine if Sin, instead of coming every, what was it, 10 years, if it came every 1,000 years, every 5,000 years or something like that, where societies rise up and whole ages occur and species come into being and all it's this D&D stuff. Godzilla. And, and then the Trask rises up and basically resets the playing field. And it's this, yeah, and depending on the exact interpretation of it, it's either this neutral force of nature or it's a terribly, terribly evil creature. But when it appears, this is it. It it basically, it's over. Like the Reapers. Yes, kind of something like the Reapers. It's a creature that's been interpreted and reinterpreted all the way back to like original D&D. So this is a character that... tie level punching bag. It is. It's... (laughs) Or... Bacon. I so guess. yeah, so I, I I have some trouble feeling bad for it, I guess, because of what it represents. But once again, I mean, maybe that's I don't know. Maybe that's just something about me. But I like the idea of the setting. And one of the things I would explore if I was running it is that this is a creature that is I would make it be a force of nature. I have a hard time with the uh, This is a purely evil creature in games because that's boring. One of the things that I think would change that game for me in execution is if there was some kind of climactic setting where we actually talk to it. Yes, I would definitely make that happen. I would make it a force of nature. This is its job. This is just what it does. Its job is to reset the world for the next world. And it has been kept from its job all of this time. And now it's being, well, what's that doing to the world? Exactly. That would be how I would run. Yeah. What, what kind of plaque? You know, obviously is killing up. vegetation. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> one of the things about the setting is that there is a there. I don't know if it is a group or a cult or a cluster a cabal, whatever of of druids. There's a high level druid whose mission is to save the ecology around the city because of the poisoning that is happening from all of the runoff and waste of the actual beast itself. Why don't they just use that as chemical weapons against their enemies? Well, that's so. Why don't they eat their enemies? Another amazing thing (laughs) about the setting is that all of the alchemical possibilities and all of the spell component possibilities and various uses for skin and eyes and glands and things. So there's economy revolving around those things as well, right? But I, I was truly fascinated by the creativity of it 
But then also, I was really drawn to how utterly ugly it is. Have you ever played a D&D game where the players have tried to monetize encounters? What I mean by that, it's like you're just playing straight up D&D. There's a dragon, dragon captured a princess, king hires you to go rescue a princess, you meet some And they're like dragon tongue, cha-ching! Well, and then it's like you slay the dragon, we'll say. And instead, and you did this a little bit in John's game, oh, totally. but it's pretty funny. It's like you kill the dragon as the GM. You're sitting there like, you know, this is not some deep economic political thing. It's like, let's go kill the dragon. And hey, you guys are great. Huzzah. Yeah. And on to the next adventure. But the adventurers are sitting there. And it's like, like Wayne and myself and Dan. And we're sitting there. It's like, okay, we kill the dragon. All right. He's, you're rolling up. Okay. You get magical boots and you get magical sword and you get this many gold pieces. And then somebody's like, well. What can I do with the skin? Well, yeah. okay, so it has a fire gland. Well, I want to extract the fire gland, and I want to put it on a wand, and so every time I squeeze the end of the wand, it shoots fire out. It's the like, okay, well, wait, it has you're... eyes. So there's a wizard in the town. The king has a wizard. He'll pay it. How much will he pay us for the eyes? And it's just like, and it just, you know... Sure, one or two. Yeah, it's I want exhausting. to drag into. Yeah, it's exa- for a game master. I love how you started that with assholes like us because I can see any one of us he starting down this path. He did it. I would in totally the, do that. In the Iron Bloods yeah. game, he did it. Yeah, dude, you throw a high and magical monster at me. You know that sort of cartoony butcher's chart that has yeah. like the dotted lines all over the animal and what each cut is. I've got that. So you throw a monster at me, and we're the gonna, pro- and we're I, gonna I, do I that. get why players do, especially in D anD D, because D anD D is a treadmill, right? It's a treadmill up. It's about advancing. It's about powers. It's about numbers going up. I mean, that's not all what it's about, but mechanically speaking, that's what it's about. Sometimes it's also just about how much can I do? How well, creative how, can I be? Okay, let me change that. How much can I get away with? Yeah, how creative yeah, can I like be? Against the yeah. You're like, how far can I push? If they say the line is here, can I step over the line one foot? Yeah. Two can, feet? I, can I move it an inch? Yeah. Well, and as a game Ugh. master, it's fine. It's not this big, huge deal, but. Brodor hit it. It's like, it's exhausting. Because now, instead of saying, okay, well, you get the magic sword, and you get this, and then you get X number of gold from quote-unquote magical parts that we just aren't going to deal with, it's like, well, now you have to do an inventory of what's on a dragon. Like, how much are dragon kidneys worth? How much are the eyeballs worth? Oh, now they just don't want to skin it. They want to pluck each individual scale out, go to a blacksmith, and have magical dragon scale armor made, which is not leather, but it's scale armor because he can't wear leather. And it's just like, oh, my God. Let let me respond to that, but then show you. (laughs) You're a bitch. The beauty. No, no. Let me show you the (laughs) beauty. Something beautiful has just occurred here. Uh All right. Because I could, because what I would say in response is, for example, the reason I did that in John's game is John made a game that was about a fallen society that had needed resources and economy. And this represented an opportunity to get gold, to get money, and to have some kind of leverage, at least economically, with the neighboring powers to get us set up. All right. Now, here's, here's the great, beautiful meta of this. We have just talked about. What I'm going to put in loose quotes here is an evil. I don't think this is a great moral evil, but nonetheless, it is a it's evil in the older sense of the word. It's chaos. It's a problem. And the, the chaos or problem or the archaic sense of evil here is that there are players who are taking these monsters and butchering them and it bogs down the game and drains a certain amount of joy from the game and metaphorical mm-hmm. life from the game and whatnot. And I was able to give you an explanation of why. Mm-hmm. 
you were, I will say in your defense, you role played with it. You role played a lot with it. But let's take this now back to the original topic because we just did sort of a meta podcast of what goes on in the games where it's not the players and GM that are causing problems, but it is the game itself or the characters that are causing the problems. And there's a phrase that I've used a lot in my conversations with one person in particular that is an explanation is not the same as an excuse. And I think this is a distinction that a lot of people in the discussion of evil have lost sight of. There are all kinds of people in the world that fascinate me, particularly people that do really, really outlandish things. And it doesn't matter if it's good, evil, changes human history, is just weird. You know, I'm fascinated by these stories. But one of the things that's true of all of them is to be able to explain what they did is not the same as to be able to excuse what they did. I think it's something that people struggle a bit to discern because when they hear the the interest, they presuppose that you've gone beyond interest to intent, that you're you're not just exploring some darkness. You're not trying to wrap your mind around it. You're not trying to figure it out enough to change it or avert it or control it. But they take it and said is, wow, you must be getting off on this. And I think why some people think that is, let's be honest, some percentage of people are. Some percentage of people do this because they do have some kind of repressed desire that they're experimenting with in a dangerous way. I think outside of knowing the person pretty well, it's hard to tell which is going on. Is the person exploring this? Is the person trying to understand this or is the person really, I mean, it's the equivalent of taking hacksaws to rats as a predictor of people going on to commit violence against other humans. So I've been told the FBI, even a sense that violence against animals is a good predictor of violence against humans is a role playing game usable as a dry run on an actual act of evil. And the answer is no. yes. Well, I mean, is it? Could it be not done? Not in the same way that taking no, no, hacks on No, rat. no, certainly no. And I'm not also saying that this is what the normative role-playing experience is, nor am I saying that this is what the normative reasoning is for someone playing something bad. I say this is someone who has played bad characters. I don't think it's normative. But does it occur? Yeah. You know, are there people that do that? Yeah. And so is that sufficient reason for someone to look at somebody who is trying to explain without excusing and presuppose that it's excusing? I don't know. I don't know that I'm prepared to go there. But, I mean, Broder, is there something about this that you can put your finger on as to... Because, I mean, like, if we think about this from a standpoint of, let's go good old cognitive behavioral therapy. So the standard form of psychological therapy that's used in most practices today, at least within the U.S., where what they try to do is if you have something messed up going on in your head, you're depressed, you're anxious, whatever, they try to get you to unravel how that got there, the process by which each episode goes. You kind of try to figure out its anatomy. And as you try to understand it, the more you understand it, the better you're able to, one, recognize... What are you buying on your cell phone while we're recording? 
this setting actually. Oh, <laughs> so I'm pre-ordering the physical copy of this That's setting. That's amazing. You wait twenty minutes. So in twenty minutes, I will have forgotten you're about welcome, this and how interested I am in the setting. The point is to both be able, by virtue of understanding its anatomy, to recognize it and to derail it, and eventually to dismantle it. I think the same thing is true. You could apply the same approach to evil. That if I say, look, I have an abusive behavior, or I have some terrible impulse, and I don't know that I can dismantle it if I don't understand where it came from. And that's not anywhere in the same ballpark as getting off on it. But usually I can identify what that is. When I talked about revenge porn, being a powerless victim is a major attribute of the first 15 to 20 years of my life. So I understand why that has a certain appeal to me, and I understand why I need to be careful with my own thoughts and actions. But there's other things where it's purely intellectual. It doesn't attract me in the least. I'm just fascinated by it. And I'm curious, Brodor, can you put your finger on whether it's with jam setting or any of these other things, what about these ugly things catches you? So, you know, while you were asking the question, I I was trying to listen, but also trying to pinpoint why exactly this was attractive to me. And in thinking of uh, salt and wounds, I thought about how ugliness exists, and yet people, they adapt they cope, they persevere, and then ultimately they say, okay, we're going to utilize this ugliness. Sure, right? the banality of evil. Right. So that was fascinating to me, but then it got me thinking that my favorite campaign setting, regardless of, regardless of mechanics, my favorite campaign setting that I've ever run and played in was the Fantasy Flight Midnight campaign setting. So the, you know, it's an old campaign setting for third edition and 3.5 D&D. Imagine Lord of the Rings, but Sauron wins. And it is an awful, ugly, terrible, oppressive world. And yet you play heroes. And so for me, it's like it makes me think about being younger and thinking about my perspective on the world. And you talk about being abused psychologically and bullied and So it makes me think about me being a kid and that everything, the entire deck is stacked against you. Everything in the world is ugly and oppressive and hideous. And the best thing that you can do is slip under the radar. But then there are those heroes that have the gumption to stand up and persevere against this evil that controls the world. And maybe that's the attraction to me is living with ugly things being reality and still soldiering on, or in the, in the case of midnight, having the ability to stand up and say, regardless of the odds, regardless of how heavily the deck is stacked against us, we are going to fight this thing. You know, I think something that at least for me kind of captures both of the things I talked about, and I've not seen the original, but the remake of The Hills Have Eyes, because the first three quarters, 80% of it, is a fairly traditional horror movie, where there's this oppressive, 
unstoppable, plot powerful sort of evil that's always out there. You never quite see or whatever that's doing all these terrible things. But then the end of it is one of the main characters finally has enough and takes, I think it's an ax and one of the German shepherds and goes out and is like, I'm done with this. You know, it's, I'm going to take it home. And that's what he does is he, (laughs) you know, he tracks this evil down and he just beats the out of it. And what I appreciate out of things like that is that I have a thing for watching these, the horror movies where you have the unbeatable horror, but then someone stands up and fights back because I like that fighting back. I like that hope, that chance. When I look at what I've really enjoyed in some of the horror movies, Nightmare on Elm Street, I love the one with the Dream Warriors, where they, yeah, where they fought, fought back. back. Yeah. They stood a chance. Dream and Warriors. If, <laughs> and, uh, Friday, the 13th, <laughs> Friday the 13th, there was one with a telekinetic girl, and she's able to fight back. I like basically the hero's journey, someone standing up, fighting back, against what it should be a unbeatable sure. evil. And, and, you know, Wayne, what I would say kind of along those lines is going back to the horror genre. If I try to think through what attracts me to things like, and I'm not a big horror fan in general, but specific things like Alien Isolation or this interest I now have in Resident Evil 7, and by the way, don't want to spoil it for me because I've not actually played it yet, but with both of them, I think the attraction is the idea that as someone who has so many issues with fear, whose life is so affected by profound anxieties, that I can look at these situations and walk through them. And in my mind, best case scenario, because like you, I like my horror movies to have a happy ending. So in best case scenario is you get something where Ripley blows the alien out in airlock. You know, it, it's dead. She is not. But even in a worst-case scenario where it has a negative ending, there is still the sense of victory that I, as the player, walked through that place of fear and came out the other side. That the fear didn't stop me from pushing through that game. And it's a weird sort of self-training, and maybe it's not even entirely healthy. I don't know. But I think that's what goes on in my head. So, two things. There's a psychological thriller on Netflix that if you haven't seen it, you should watch called The Invitation. And second, I think I figured it out with at least with with salt and wounds that for me, it's not the evil. It's the complacency. It's the fact that for hundreds of years, this is just what we've done. Yeah, it's it's like I said, it's the banality of evil. Yeah. There was something that I saw. More recently, it wasn't yesterday, this was a couple of years ago, and I won't repeat the issue because I think it would derail the show a bit, but there was a pretty well-known bad thing that had occurred. And someone who was part of the perpetrating party gave an explanation of it, and I posted this on my Facebook feed, and I'm like, I just can't wrap my head around this. And people are like, well, how can you be so surprised this happened or any of this stuff? I'm like, no, 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 I don't think you get it. It's, I can't get in the explanation of it, how casually it's all being talked about. You know, the same way that I would talk about like, oh yeah, I I did some laundry last night. This person's talking about these things. And it was somebody who reminded me of that phrase that was used, I believe, most famously, perhaps first, as a descriptor of 
the Nazi regime, which is they talked about the banality of evil, how every day it had become, you know, that you just did these terrible things and you had just become so accustomed to it. You came up with new terms for it. You just came up with ways of you just didn't see it. You know, it's no different than the way modern day we step over a homeless person on the way to work. Mm. You know, it's just it becomes part of your environment. You just don't see it anymore. Or it doesn't affect you. You know, I don't know. I don't know how long it's been going on in this world, but maybe people have been feeding on this task for generations. Right. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. No, that's that's part of the setting is that it's been a couple hundred years since the Tarrasque has been dated. Yeah. So several generations have passed. I mean, the last person... Allow me to channel the vegetarian that I am <laughs> not in any way. Vegetarians could say the same thing about cows. We've been well, killing them for years because they taste good. Sure, well, And we're complacent. And, and same thing in this world. They've been eating it for years. Sure, and I don't want to dive too deep down this rabbit hole, but I think I, can, I like bacon. I think I can do so with a fair amount of detachment, or at least do so in my description here. That question has been raised about pigs because pigs have a similar intelligence and sociability and the to, ability to kill dragons and cast tenth level spells. Yeah, <laughs> uh, to to dogs. And so, why are we selective about our distress at eating dogs, but not at pigs? And I'm not going to precisely. Yeah. It's uh, dogs are not f-ing delicious. Yeah, <laughs> they, I've heard that they, dogs are actually really disgusting. They, okay. The and pigs pig. are good. The pig. I, I will eat your feet. <laughs> I will eat Trots. your nose. Snoots. My dog will eat your ears. I will take your intestines. I will squeeze the shit out of your colon Chips. like a like a toothpaste tube. Well, you gotta wash that will, out. I will. I will deep fry them and eat yeah, them. Right. Let me pause you right here. Just repeat back everything you said, except put Tarask in there, and now you understand the setting. So, <laughs> if the Tarask, so. In the podcast that I've listened to and interviews with him and then what I've read, I don't recall anyone talking about the Tarrasque being f***ing delicious. But if it's... <laughs> See? But, well, people keep eating it. That's a, well, that's the only thing you can eat. It's there. But that's beside the point. So the thing is, the pig... I, I haven't gotten to the actual meat of the pig. That's how good <laughs> the pig is. But you kill the pig and it doesn't come back to life. So, so there's... Oh, my God. But if it did... Uh, if we We'd had, have a population problem with pigs. Oh, no, <laughs> it would be so good. an ecological disaster. Oh, so good. That's my. That's it my. It would next. eventually become an extinction event. For because sure. pigs will eat anything. anything. I, I already have yeah, too many games planned for Fear the Con Eleven, but Fear we the would, Con Twelve. I'm going to run a one shot of Cobalt's Ate My Baby, and it's Cobalt's Ate My Piglet. It's gonna, it's exactly that. It's going to be salt in wounds, except it's going to be there's a magic fucking pig, and the Cobalt's have to go steal it. <laughs> wow. Um. So yeah. <laughs> so that I, you know, was a thing. So dark characters and settings. I mean, I like dark characters. I like. Dark settings. I like not dark characters, not dark settings, because it's life. Life has good things and life has bad things in it, and I like exploring life. I don't really get too deep in the weeds and the morality, although to acknowledge that darkness has a morality component to it. And that's where I'm confused, because if if my wife was here, she would certainly attest that I recognize that the world is shades of gray. And in my entertainment... I really like the simplicity of white hats and black hats. See, I don't. Because when you're mustache twirling evil, 
It's lazy. I want my game, whether I'm playing or running or whatever, to reflect reality within the framework of the game. Right, and I'm not I'm not disagreeing in that that it is lazy in terms of that the white hat can have their flaws and that the black cat can have their areas of being sympathetic, but ultimately I like the line of this person is the hero and this person is the villain. Read Lolita sometimes. There's nothing I hate more than an obnoxious hero. I'm not reading. No, not because the thing about Lolita, the book, is that it is first-person perspective from the main character, who is a child molester. That's not a real big spoiler. I mean, it's kind of like in the first couple of pages of the book. Despicable. Despicable human being. And the entire book is from his perspective. From his first-person perspective, he's talking to you. And it is fascinating because he's so charming. He is such a well a well-made, interesting, well-crafted character. And I'm not saying you feel sympathy for him or anything like that. He's crazy, and he makes excuses, and he does horrible things, and he commits the some of the worst possible crimes you could commit. But you see it is such a well-crafted character. You see all the facets of this character in a well-written book, in a well-crafted character, and it just brings it all together, and it's such a great book. And it, you don't even want to talk about dark. That's dark. The point of it is not what he does. The point of it is the execution of the story. But for me, the end result is is that we tie that man to a hill and we douse him in gasoline and we light him on fire. So I don't need to spend the next three to 400 pages listening to his excuses and, and attempting to explain why f***ing a child is okay. I just want to light him on fire. What about American Psycho then? Well, that was all in his head. I don't think it was. Yeah. Well, that's certainly how the film presents it. Let's yeah. go to a less cerebral story. Magneto. Magneto has always been one of my favorite villains in comics because at the heart of it, you understand where he's coming from. He saw horrible, horrible things. I was, was going to say, actually, there was something you recommended to me along these lines. Irredeemable. Yeah, it's yeah. so good. Irredeemable is... And a, that's where I'm a, I'm a hypocrite. I'm so conflicted. <laughs> that's my point. Because Irredeemable is an entire story right. about yeah. this really... I mean, what was once upon a time a good guy superhero. Yeah, Superman goes bad. And goes yeah. really bad. Yeah. I mean, this is... Play, super, you could say he goes super bad. Super bad, <laughs> yes. But yeah, he goes really, really bad. On everything with his laser eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it. To, like I said, to me, it, it's not. I, I don't get as deep as in it as you guys yeah. of saying it's like, oh, well, I look into the darkness and the darkness reflects back into me. And what does that say about me? What is it to me? It's like my character in Saw game. He's not a good person, but he's not a bad person. You know, he's not a bad person either because I, I would like to think he is multifaceted. And he has multiple dimensions to him. You know, but Chad, he's not a good Chad, person. I think it's for the exact reason that you just gave. In terms of why I do that, is you said it very well in that real life includes these things. These are facets of the real world. Right. They've happened before. They're happening now. They will happen again. You know, at, at the micro level and the macro level, these are just parts of our reality. And so when I look at these things in fiction... 
I can't help but notice the parallels to reality, even if the author never intended them, you know, but because it's the same thing, because what drove a person in fiction to do this, if it's well-written fiction, is pretty similar to the motivations that would drive someone in reality. And I'm humble enough to say that person could even be me to do something like this and to reflect upon, and I'm I'm not saying I take this super seriously, but to reflect upon to some level, what can I take away from this to be a better person, to understand what's wrong with me in such a way that I can fix it, or to say this is why it happens in society so I know how to recognize these people. And I I won't name the person here because I don't want to start a huge political debate related to this podcast, but there was somebody I was listening to who, in my opinion, has pretty abhorrent views. But as I sat there and listened to him, I found that this person was, at the surface, very charming, was able to state their ideas very well, and it was the sort of thing that I think if you took too passively in consumption, you might you know, find yourself starting to agree with here and there. And it, it took that moment of stepping back and saying, wait a minute, let's boil this down. Let's write this out in its simplest right. terms without the charm and presentation. This sounds like, holy crap, this is horrifying. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's what it took. And I think to some extent I was equipped to do that because, I mean, let's go away. Who was it that did the the one of the most famous sort of sympathetic takes on Satan? Was it Milton? It's one of these classic works of literature, and I'm forgetting who did it now. Um, all right, well, somebody knows what I'm talking about. But he did this sort of sympathetic take on Satan, which actually he's kind of credited for starting that genre of literature where Satan... guy Satan genre? He, he's more... He's similar to Coyote. He's the, trick, he's the trickster scamp. Mm. You know, he's the rebel. He's, he's not this utterly depraved, horrific evil, but he's this... Lovable scamp. And I'm, I'm oversimplifying sure. a bit, but that isn't too far from the truth. And you know, it's presentations like that in fiction of people who are fundamentally evil, but incredibly sympathetic yeah. in their presentation and their sob story and whatever else that you know, it prepared me to have this, I say encounter, I didn't talk to this person directly, but to have this moment in my life where I encountered this evil and be like, no, you're messed up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, I think you can look at somebody and say, yeah, you're messed up and evil, and you're also really charming. Yeah. How or- many times do I have to apologize? <laughs> <laughs> you're not charming. <laughs> oh, I think you're charming. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> let's go ahead and wrap this one up here. Check the show notes for some links, fearthecon.com for the upcoming Fear the Con and there will be a link off that to the con planner site, or I may just link both in the show notes. And all right, so did you remember your fifty-seven other? I've, announcements? I've already I've already announced what three games I'm going to run at Fear the Con Eleven. Uh, have you gentlemen come up with games? Are you ready to post stuff? Are you gonna? Are you? What are you gonna do? I don't know. I haven't decided. To be completely honest, I have not decided. It, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to run anything or not. If I do, I won't come up with it until closer to time. Because typically I come up with a lot of big ideas, and then I end up doing something entirely different you one could, time. You could run a game called Wayne's Big Idea, and it's just whatever shit you come up with five minutes before the game. 
I could do that, actually. Yeah. So I think this is what you do. You show up with a pile of Rory Story Cubes and several tabs of LSD. And, and a sock. And, and you just then... beat somebody. <laughs> you just red alert somebody with a Story Cube. And then when the sock breaks open, when they all land on the floor amongst the teeth and the blood, that's the game you run. I love that. Yeah. yeah. See, that's dark. I love that. <laughs> You're a bad person for liking it. I know. It. I'm the see, worst. See, Put the that poor trash. <laughs> your problem is that you like dark stuff. And that's actually not a bad thing. It's not a problem. But you also have a lot of guilt. That is and true. that's the problem. Yeah. See, that, that's where you're conflicted. It's not liking bad stuff. It's the guilt you feel over if, liking it. If I did not have the guilt... I mean, if I had the intellect to be a serial killer, <laughs> which I do not, although I have the attention to detail and the anal retentiveness, I, I, the guilt is good for me. The guilt is a good thing. Yeah, I, 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 I think You know what? The guilt, it's good for nurses. That's really who's benefiting <laughs> our nurses. I think what I should run, Brodor, is... Whatever table you're at, I should be at the very next table. God damn it, don't say what you Whatever the game is... The decision mechanism is the Ouija board. Or, and then the next one, it's Chili Night. <laughs> and it's a chili-based mechanic. And you just keep scooting the table closer to theirs. And it's like, doo, doo, doo. oh, you hit. I will shit myself to win that competition. <laughs> and All that's right. why I'm not going to fear the cup. <laughs> no, I'm going. So thank you guys for tuning in. Have a great week and great games. And we will catch you next time. <laughs> Peace out. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2018. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy Network of Shows. You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com slash network.